Welcome to the Nightly Rant with your hosts, Mike and Toria. This is the show where we examine society from a sarcastic point of view. If you like insane conversations, this is definitely the show for you. Let's get into today's topic. YPN people, I don't know about you, but I love helping out a friend. That's why I want to shout out my friend Brian Little and his podcast, Your Favorite Blockhead. This is the only show that manages to weave together peanuts and MMA into one heck of an amazing podcast. You can find your favorite blockhead wherever your favorite podcasts reside and at yourfavoriteblockhead.com. Do me a huge favor and listen to Brian's show. You'll be entertained and you'll help out a friend. Now, as I said, let's get into today's topic. Doesn't seem like we ever go very long without that extra dog. You mean like we drop off one dog on Saturday and a new one arrives on Monday? Yeah, but for once we actually, you know, and I think about it, we actually got a day. A whole day. Where there was no foster dog. Yep. And of course, we weren't even here to enjoy it. We were elsewhere and uh, the poor Yogi, well, the poor Yogi got to spend the whole day by himself. So he must have enjoyed that. You know, though, talking about Sunday, was there not a crazier group of people that you've met in your life? Like they were weird. They were less weird than the people we met in Northern California, though. So people, what, what happened was we, we have a friend who is the chairperson of the Los Angeles Libertarian Party, and they were having their convention. And her big fear is they have what they call, honest to God, they call it the pedophile caucus because they're led by a guy who is a convicted pedophile. They have another guy who's really loud and disruptive, and he wanted to take over the party. So he brought the pedophile caucus out to vote for him. They were about a third of the group that was there. And they were libertarians take what they call a non-aggression. They have a non-aggression principle, and you have to swear that you're not going to be aggressive. Well, these are the most aggressive, non-aggressive people I've ever met in my life. They're more aggressive than I am, and I'm just plain aggressive most of the time. <laughs> anyway, I think you've successfully horrified our guest with Pedophile Caucus. <laughs> well, I'm sorry about that. I really am. <laughs> but let's talk about who our guest is. Today, we have Joy Malik, and she is a licensed therapist and life coach to INFJs. Now, don't worry. We're going to explain what that is to you. It's a personality type known for strong intuition, deep empathy, it's definitely not me. And a tendency to go into hermit mode at the slightest provocation. Is she describing you? Pretty much. Joy recently launched INFJ School. We actually had a role to play in that. Um, it's a place where folks with the rarest personality type in the Myers-Briggs can come together to learn how to use their inherent strengths to flourish. I love that you say this. Joy's greatest loves include circuitous conceptual conversation and weekends spent with her cell phone ringer off. Welcome, Joy. Thank you so much for having me. First thing I'm going to ask you about is tell me about your circuitous conceptual <laughs> conversations. Explain this to me. Well, I'm hoping that we're about to have one. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like something I would enjoy, actually. Absolutely. I'm sure you would. I'm a chess player, so I like to say, well, if we do this, and then we go off on that tangent, and then, oh, well, what about this? So it's always fun. Yes. And what is it like to spend weekends with your cell phone ringer turned off? I wrote that and I thought, Joy, you are such a bullshitter. My cell phone ringer is never on. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it sounded a little bit more socially acceptable <laughs> to say that I play hermit on weekends. <laughs> Tell us about how you got into doing what you're doing. Well, I think it really started with my own personal thirst to better understand myself and the way I tick, the way my mind works, why I feel the things I feel. From a pretty early age, I realized that I was different from most people around me. I just seemed to navigate life differently. I was met with a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of well-intentioned people throughout my life who didn't get why I needed to spend so much time alone or why it would take me a minute to be able to think a response to a question. But when I did respond, it was really thoroughly thought out and anticipated all the different implications of whatever the topic was we were talking about. I didn't understand why I seemed to be so much more connected to other people's feelings and needs than to my own. That caused me a lot of pain in terms of emotions, you know, my personal emotions piling up unprocessed and then kind of jumping up and biting me out of nowhere when they just got too overwhelming. So I noticed all these differences in myself and and then I discovered the Myers-Briggs, which is theory and personality theory system for describing the differences between people. And as I learned about my personality type, INFJ, I began to understand that the differences that had always seemed to me like setbacks in my personality were actually tremendous strengths. And I started to really, really want to share this with other people. INFJs are, according to some statistics, the rarest personality type in the Myers-Briggs system. And so if we're only one or two out of every hundred people, it just created a desire in me to be able to relay the insights that I was learning about myself to others who may not have discovered yet that the differences that they may have felt set them apart from other people, pulled them away from other people are actually really strong gifts. You know, I don't recall. I just recently did this personality survey and I do not recall. What did I get, honey? Yes, TJ. I still don't believe it. I, I actually don't believe that for you either. Tori and I had a whole conversation about this. I don't believe it because, well, there's a lot of reasons why I don't believe it. But I mean, there's some things that I read that I could say as, you know, they give you the results, as you know, and then there's description of why. And some of it mostly made sense. But then there's parts of it that you say, well, I'm not talking small parts either, like big parts that you say, well, that's way off base. But it's interesting because you're trying to figure out your personality type. And I feel like when you take those quizzes, you start to notice the repetitive question mm -hmm. and you're like, aha, this is an important question. I better be very accurate here. And I think that kind of skews the results just a little bit mm. because you're not answering off the cuff. You're kind of going, well, what did I say on the last time that they answered, questioned me the same question, but a different way. And I found myself trying to avoid that, which I think may have skewed the results just a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how to get around that, actually, because I'm so darn analytical that I was analyzing the test as I was mm -hmm, taking it. Mm -hmm. you were, that actually you were analyzing give, it. Right. Sorry. Which, which can give us, actually, a better, a better sense of what personality type you might be, just the fact that you were analyzing it while you were taking it. But I just want to come alongside and wholeheartedly agree with you. The tests are, in my opinion, not the best way to find out what type you are. We all just think so differently and different Questions are going to mean different things to different people, depending sometimes in the, on the mood you're in as you take the tests. I think that the best way to learn one's personality type is to investigate, read about the different personality types. It helps to talk to someone who really understands type, kind of narrow it down. 
but I absolutely do not think that you are an ESTJ just from just from the little interaction we've had. We have a friend who is also a life coach and she always tells me, like I tell her, 54 years old, I know myself pretty well. I have a couple of things that I know that I don't like about myself. Like for instance, I don't feel like my emotional intelligence is super high. I feel like sometimes things happen and I don't know, there's times where I might overreact emotionally. Then there's other times where I feel like later I'll think back and I'll be like, wow, that was so cold. Why were you so cold? And she tells me, oh, no, you're not that way. You're not that way at all. And I say to myself, how do you know? Like, you don't know what goes on inside my head. Mm. You just know what I show you. You don't Mm -hmm. know. You don't know what I'm actually thinking. Mm -hmm. And you might not want to know what I'm actually thinking. But it's it's things like that that make me question the results that I got because they talk about like the strong emotional attachment. Well, I have a strong emotional attachment to my wife, but most of the time I have a very, very hard time, at least at first, unless you come into my inner world, I have a hard time connecting to people in that way, in an emotional way. Mm-hmm. I, even once, I even once went to see a therapist because I told them that I wasn't quite sure what it meant really to love somebody. And the worst thing happened. Oh, you're fine. You're normal. You're fine. One session. <laughs> and I said, how do you know I'm fine? Wow. I kind of had to struggle with that for a while. But these tests, I've taken Myers-Briggs probably three times. And I can't remember. I know the other two times I got the exact same result, but it's different from this time. So I'm wondering, like, what makes you, when you take these personality tests, what do you think makes people come out with, say, maybe a three different results? A lot of it, I think, has to do with the way in which that particular test was designed. A lot of people, in fact, I think most people out there only know the Myers-Briggs as a set of 16 different types, each one represented by a four-letter code. And so you've got a choice between personality traits of introversion, extroversion, sensing and intuition, thinking and feeling, and judging and perceiving. But that's not actually what this theory is based on. This theory is based on eight cognitive functions which are introverted and extroverted intuition, introverted and extroverted sensing, introverted and extroverted thinking, the same with feeling, and yeah, that makes eight. It's going to keep going, but there was nowhere left to go. And the only test I'm aware of that is actually based on figuring out which four of those eight functions are most strongly represented in your personality is a test by Personality Hacker. I think that's the last one you took, Michael. It's called the Genius Test. You can find it at personalityhacker.com. And I found it to be the most accurate, probably more accurate than the other tests you took. And yet the designers of that test, Joel and Antonia over at Personality Hacker, will tell you no test is 100% accurate. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I was thinking of some, okay, what is it that made you focus on, I mean, you have, we just announced you have INFJ school. Mm -hmm. What made you focus on that particular group of people? Yeah, great question. First, I want to say one of the most exciting things to me about learning about personality type has been understanding the vital value of every single type out of the 16. Um, I'm not someone who thinks that INFJs are superior to other types fundamentally, but what has caused me to hone in and focus on INFJs has been my own experience as an INFJ, one of the rarest types in the Myers-Briggs. And 
the fact that most of the outer world does not function in accordance with the way that INFJs personally function. There are much more, there are types that are more highly represented in the population and our culture, our systems, the way that society works tends to be better designed for them than for INFJs. I felt there was a real need out there, one that I had experienced myself before figuring all this stuff out, a need that INFJs in particular have, uh, along with some of the other rarer types, to be able to learn specifically about the way that our minds and hearts work. Because we have incredibly sophisticated gifts to offer the world, but we usually experience sort of a lack of understanding. Not many of us were, say, raised by INFJs or had significant INFJs in our lives who really understood the way that they ticked. And so I think a real need out there that INFJs have to be able to learn from someone who is of that type and understands it not just academically, but from the inside out experientially. What's the most common personality type? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't have that memorized, but I can tell you that 75% of the population is what we would call sensors instead of intuitives. And INFJs are intuitives, meaning that we tend to focus on not on what's immediately obvious, not the physical concrete world. We don't tend to focus so much on, you know, happenings, who did what, where. We tend to focus more on behind the curtain stuff, stuff that you can only conjecture, like why someone did what, where, <laughs> you know, what made them do it? What made them do it that way? We tend to focus on being able to recognize patterns in the way that people work or systems work or concepts, theories work. And we're more focused on the abstract world of ideas and, you know, relational dynamics, those kinds of things, than we are in the concrete world. If you take into consideration that 75% of people as sensors are much more interested in the concrete physical world, much more interested in talking about, you know, who did what where, and only 25% <laughs> of the population is interested in figuring out why <laughs> that person did what they did, where they did it. And then you take that 25% of intuitives and you consider that there are still two types of intuitives, extroverted and, and in, extroverted intuitives and introverted intuitives, and that there are more extroverted intuitives than there are introverted intuitives. Introverted intuitives would be people who, um, well, actually, let me start with extroverted intuitives. Extroverted intuitives would be people who figure out patterns and the way things work by interacting with the outside world. They'll try things, they'll taste, they'll test, push buttons and flip switches, so to speak. And then they'll note what happens. You know, when I flip this switch, if a light comes on, then that tells me that there's a pattern, there's a connection between the switch and the light. Introverted intuitives do that testing, tasting, trying, flipping switches completely internally by running simulations. So we ask ourselves internally, why did that person do what they did? And, and instead of trying different things with that person in order to observe what they'll do, we actually imagine how they would respond in different situations. We slide outside of our own perspective and we try to look at an event um, or an idea through the lens of someone else in order to gain more information about what makes them tick and how they work. Michael, I have a feeling that while I don't think you're an INFJ, I think you use introverted intuition like INFJs do. Would you like to hear why? Sure. Okay. So I think it was in your last podcast about annoying people. Oh, no. She listened. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I did. And I heard that I made a little guest appearance in that podcast, too, <laughs> unbeknownst to me. <laughs> annoying people are everywhere. That's all I'm going to say. 
the cool thing is, I don't think that you were discussing me in the framework of being being an annoying person. No, <laughs> so that doesn't sound like what I would do. <laughs> no. <laughs> but what I heard in that podcast, Toria, you asked Michael for his take on a situation. You asked who would be responsible for what happens in this situation, right? Oh, that was our, I was swearing and people were glaring at me podcast. Yeah, exactly, That's the one. Right. <laughs> and you wanted to know, you wanted to know, is it the responsibility of the person who is like swearing in a conversational tone, non-aggressively to check their language in front of children who are sitting a table away? Or is it the parent of the children's responsibility to, you know, maneuver so that kids aren't exposed to non-aggressive conversational foul language? Did I answer <laughs> that correctly? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You got it. That makes you sound really bad, by the way. <laughs> well, what I loved was, Michael, your response right out of the gate, your first response was it basically, in essence, it depends on whose perspective you're thinking about it through. And you thought yeah. about it, you gave a really well reasoned explanation or you almost sort of advocated for each perspective by going Correct. into that perspective and adopting it for the moment, right? For the sake of argument. That's the power of introverted intuition. That's very interesting because I've always felt, you know, I mean, like I told you earlier, I've been a chess player since I was like eight years old, a long, long time. And I've always felt that my ability to do that comes from that. Because when you play chess at a high level, you're not winning the game because the other person completely blows it. You're winning the game because you figure out a strategy they haven't figured out and you outmaneuver them. But in order to do that, you have to sit in their chair exactly. as well as your chair. Exactly. And when she asked that question, though, also my libertarianism comes out because as a libertarian, one of our big things is our rights end where yours begin and vice versa. On the one hand, I could see where Victoria was coming from that, well, I should be allowed to say what I want to say when I want to say it, but she's in public. Like that's a huge, to me, that's a huge differentiating factor. On the other hand, then you have the parent there. Why are they bringing, maybe they're bringing their children somewhere where that type, like a sports bar. If you told me it was a sports bar, I'm all on them. It's their fault. But if you tell me that you're just at Chili's restaurant, well, now I wonder, like, should the person speaking be more cognizant of who's around them? But at the same time, you know, so I kind of see both sides of it. And it was a difficult question to answer because I really didn't see a right answer to it. It kind of bothered me. I, I would like to jump in and say it was difficult. Let me try this out with you. It was difficult to pin yourself down to only one perspective, but I actually think you answered it beautifully. Thank you. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that was the problem was I can see both sides of the coin. And I think as I've thought about it, because, you know, I, I have the luck of I, I listen to the episodes twice. We have an editor for that particular show and he edits. I transcribe. So I get to listen to the show not only as it's happening, but afterwards. And I remember thinking about that and saying, you know, actually, if I were to answer that again, I would probably say that the person who was cussing probably should have paid attention to their environment. And like I say, if you're in a sports bar, that's an entirely different environment than if you're in a family restaurant. If you're in a family restaurant, you've got to act like you're in a family restaurant. I'll admit this. What was more intriguing to me about all of that mentally, I don't recall that happening. <laughs> Ah, interesting. Uh, it wasn't exactly blatant swearing. It was like one single right. little quiet F-bomb in the middle of a sentence. And this lady was like, all right. the glares. Right. <laughs> now you've got me back to thinking it could go either way then if it was just one time. It's not like you're a truck driver and you were just blah, 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 just spitting stuff out. No. You made one, you, you tripped up once. I saved that for in the house. 
<laughs> Maybe that's when the parent redirects the kid to not hear that. I don't know. That's interesting that you kind of focused in on that because I spent some, I actually spent quite a bit of time after putting that edit, that episode together thinking about that issue because I kept saying, how come I don't remember hmm. her doing that? Why, mm-hmm. why do I not recall that? Which clearly means that in the moment, it was completely not relevant to me. The, it was a non-issue, which also probably means I was thinking more like her. What's the problem? I didn't even see a problem. But after I thought about it afterwards, I thought, well, it's probably about 70% her fault and 30% the parent's you well, know, responsibility. You, you've told me to watch my language in public before, and I have no issue with that. Like, I don't even pay attention to who's around me, but whatever. Usually it's more your volume than your <laughs> and the words you use. We go to work sometimes at five o'clock in the morning and we walk down a hallway that literally people's bedrooms are right there. Hey now. And she'll just be talking to me like she is right now. And I'm like, shh, bring it down a little. I'm very cognizant of other people's feelings when I'm out. But that's what's interesting is I was going to ask you, do you, has there ever been a study or do you know if there's a relationship between, like, you know how in, the only way I can describe it is in astrology when they say, Oh, uh, this person and th- this 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 sign and this sign are going to get along, and this sign and this sign are not going to get along. Have there ever been any studies done on how well people interact with one another, depending upon what types they are? It's a great question. I believe that there have been studies done on, say, marital contentment <laughs> between you know different combinations of types. And in in my experience as a therapist and a coach, I can I can say anecdotally I've noticed greater compatibility with some types over others. But I really think that the key ingredient here is not you know finding your perfect type, so to speak. I don't know that that exists. Finding the perfect type in someone to be with. I think it's more about are both people growth oriented? Are both people interested in understanding themselves and their partner? And are both people committed to both being able to value, you know, each other's differences while look for common areas and and pathways for communication. Well, I had a reason for asking that question, actually. And that is that (laughs) I actually have a theory about relationships, be it, and I'm not just talking romantic relationships, just relationships in general, interpersonal relationships. And I think that people themselves are like a chemical compound. And we've all had people like in our group of friends who we say, oh no, Bob is coming and so is John. This is going to be a crazy barbecue. Because when you put those two guys together, all hell breaks loose. And then you have the people that like, oh no, this person's coming. What a downer. And it's somehow they have a way of affecting the entire crowd of people that's there. And so I feel like it's like a chemical compound. And you never know when you put two chemicals together, you're not really sure what kind of reaction you're going to get from that. And I think you get that same thing with interpersonal relationships. And I've seen it. This is my second marriage. And in my first marriage, in a lot of ways, we were way too much alike. And what would start to happen is we would be so much alike, we'd have an argument. And then when I'd be thinking about the argument, I'd say, my gosh, that's me. Like, what? That's why I hate that. <laughs> because it's me. I don't like that. I don't have that problem with Victoria. We, we tend to, we're different enough that it just works. And I really believe that it's like that chemical compound. You mix two people together and it's either a good thing or a bad thing or just indifferent, really. I mean, there are people who get to, I think that's why people get together and it's just like, what, what? Uh, to, to, like It'll happen to us. We'll go out with another couple and she'll say, oh, I liked those two. And I'll say, well, the woman was nice, but the guy was kind of a douche. 
And she'll say, how can you say that? And I'll give her examples of why I feel that way. And then she'll say, huh, didn't even notice that. Because his chemical compound and her chemical compound, they didn't, you know, they weren't volatile. Whereas mine with him, it was. So that's kind of interesting to me because in your position, you know, especially I'm sure with all the many people you've talked to and worked with, I like that you said just your own observations. I can't remember the exact word you used, but it was a great word. Your observations are that you do see there's positives and negatives to different types being together. And it only makes sense, right? It does. It does. And here's where my introverted intuition kicks in. And I am looking at it from different perspectives. I know in historically in my own life, I've tended to connect, say, with INFPs. That's that's a type that I tend to connect with, really enjoy. There's there's a dynamism to the conversation. Same with INTJs, same with ENTPs, fellow INFJs, and several other personality types. But the individual chemical composition, so to speak, of a person matters too. It's like just as you were saying that when two people interact, it's like two chemical, like two, let's it's chemical reaction, like two chemicals coming together. I think there's also a very individual and specific sort of chemical makeup to each of us as individuals that goes beyond personality type and that can change as we grow. I mean, it can change according to the day, <laughs> but it can also <laughs> change. It can change. And your mood. In a, and your mood, exactly. But it can change in a more stable way over time too. I mean, I've definitely experienced that in my life. So I found myself, you know, connecting with personality types that I never thought I would because there's something about the way that that unique person expresses their personality and maybe the growth they've made, the work they've done on themselves that just clicks in, in a really engaging way for me with my own. That's interesting because as you say that, I think of a couple of people that I've, I guess you'd say learned how to interact with and now it's smooth. <laughs> right. But in the beginning, almost Anything they said would rub me the wrong way and anything I would say would rub them the wrong way. And somehow you navigate through all of that and figure out how to interact in a more normal fashion where you're not getting annoyed by the other person since we talked about annoying people a minute ago. <laughs> and that's what I say. There's an, there's annoying people everywhere. But I think, what is it about, okay, so scenario. <laughs> people fa are faced, like right now, we're running a recall campaign against a city council member here in our city. In California, they, require, well, I think they do this in every state, but what's very strict here, they require what they call a 460 filing. And it literally lists all your donations line by line. There's rules about how much details you need to give depending on how much money is given. And then there's your expenditures and then they're coded. There's 27 codes for these expenses. And this woman went and got a massage and skincare for $350 and paid for it with her campaign money. She went out to like a $500 dinner and got reimbursed for it when she wasn't even supposed to be reimbursed for it. She paid for her gas for her car. She leased a car. I could go on and on and on. And, and the evidence, it's, it's like, it would be like observing someone kill somebody and then having them stand up and say they didn't do it. You're a rational person. You're going to say, yes, you did. I saw you. Well, what's happening is some people just are completely like, they don't see it. Like, how is this a problem? Why, why is this? And I can't wrap my head around that at all. That's the kind of people I tend to label as annoying because <laughs> how do you think that way? How do you possibly I get it. You don't have to agree with me. That's one thing about me. I don't care if you agree or disagree. It doesn't really matter. As long as we can have a good conversation, what, you know, oh, well, you don't have to agree with me. We're adults. But how can you have such a far out there? Hey, I watched that person go into the bank with a gun, come out with the money, and I'm going to sit here and say they didn't rob the bank. <laughs> how? Right. So right. what does that? 
what causes that in people yeah. that they're just willfully ignorant of what they actually witnessed? One really fascinating thing about the Myers-Briggs system is that half of the cognitive functions that we use in each of our personalities has the role of helping us process information. So half of our functions are information processing functions. They determine the way in which we take in information, the way we integrate it, the way we learn it. And then the other half of our cognitive functions are decision-making functions. They're not about how we process information. They're about what lens do we use to assign value to information and how do we use that to make determinations, judgments, and decisions. My guess is that the judging or decision-making function that you use, Michael, is probably vastly different from the judging or decision-making function that the people who don't see basically stealing from, you know, taxpayers dollars as a problem. I think that, you know, for example, when it comes to INFJs, our primary information processing function is uh, introverted intuition, what we were talking about earlier. I think that might be your primary information processing function too, Michael. It's all about looking at things from different perspectives, noticing patterns and gathering insight. As an INFJ, the decision-making or value assigning function I use primarily is called extroverted feeling. It's a value values-based function. It's concerned not with my own individual feelings and needs, but with the feelings and needs of others, the collective. You can see how that plays, you know, a role in society. <laughs> there need to be yeah. some people <laughs> who are, are looking out to make sure that everyone's okay, not just themselves. And the way that extroverted feeling pulls on my emotions in order to best do its work is it causes me to pay more attention, just naturally, automatically to focus more on empathizing with other people's feelings than on identifying with my own. So when I look, for example, at that situation that you're describing, and this, you said city council person is using taxpayer dollars to go out to dinner and fill her car with gas, etc. My extroverted feeling, my values-based system for evaluating information and making decisions goes, that is so unethical. Oh my God, that's so unethical. You know, you have these people's trust. How can you be using taxpayer dollars? These people are entrusting you to use this money for the benefit of the community. How can you use that to, you know, on on like frivolous things for yourself? I'm curious. It, it's interesting to for me to speculate, Michael, what decision-making function you may be using to evaluate that information. What is it that bothers you most about the situation? Is it like me, a concern for ethics? Is it just like, why, like, this is so simple. It's so obvious that she shouldn't be doing this. Why is this even a debate? Yeah, it's the ethics for sure. To kind of give you a little backstory, during the, she only recently was elected in November. And during the election, in here, they, they had mailed out the mail-in ballots they were already four weeks in. So most, probably 70% of them had been returned. And all of a sudden, in the news, this woman was arrested because some people put out signs calling her a carpetbagger and she was stealing the signs. And her justification was that they didn't have a committee number on it, which by the way, isn't required, but they didn't have a committee number on it. And so she was using the rules to say, okay, the rule, they violated the rule, so I'm going to take their signs. To me, doesn't belong to you. You don't take it. That's unethical. You could take a photograph of it and be like, look, there's no number on here. Here's my evidence. Go do something about it. But instead, she chose to take matters into her own hands and steal the signs. So she literally, she got arrested. She's going through the criminal justice system right now. And that got me interested in looking at her finances because, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And 
I started looking through her finances and I see things like $900 Uber ride. Where did she go? Las Vegas? Like where, where the heck did she go? That cost $900. We calculated today $88,000 in office expenses for someone who didn't have an office. It's just the ethics of it. And I'll tell you, my oldest son, when he was in fifth grade, he had a really great teacher. And we go for the parent-teacher conference. The guy's like, you know, he's got an E in this. 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 But his citizenship is an S. And I'm like, what? What did he do? <laughs> Want to know what his explanation was? <laughs> Your son likes to follow all the rules. Okay, that's a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, he likes to follow the rules, so you gave him an S. So uh, he should have been a rule breaker, and he would have gotten an E. He literally said to me, well, in this situation, yes. So he started to explain it to me. Well, you know, there's a rule here that you can't play tackle football. And when they play tackle football, he goes and he tells on the kids. See, to me, separate issues. Don't be a tattletale. That's a different issue than following the rules. I want him to follow the darn rules. I just don't want him to be a tattletale just because other kids aren't. Let the let someone else figure it out. And it blew, I never forget that moment. It kind of blew my mind, short-circuited my brain. Like, you're really going to lower his grade because he followed the rules? What are you teaching him by doing that? You're teaching him, hey, let's break the rules. Well, you know, you fast forward, here's this lady. There are rules that she has to follow. I mean, there people go to jail over this. And she's just willy-nilly doing whatever she wants with the money. And to me, the ethical aspect of that is so wrong that it mortifies me. And I actually immediately told somebody she needs to be recalled. We can't recall her until she's in office for 90 days. So wait until March. We're coming after her. But that was before I found the actual evidence. The evidence is so <laughs> disgusting that now I couldn't walk away from this if I wanted to. My principles won't allow it. What's funny is, this is very telling, the only people who defend her, she has two people that we know of that are real. But beyond that, people have made fake, a person has made fake Facebook accounts we actually suspect it's her and they defend her and they literally oh you don't have any evidence oh really so the receipt that we showed you isn't evidence <laughs> the canceled check that's not evidence all right and they just blow it off well i get that the fake account i kind of laugh at because their job is to defend her but there are people who say oh well, that's what politicians do all the time why do we care well that's why politicians do it all the time because you don't care and to me, that's the line. I have principles. And you cross the line with, with ethical issues, um, there's a problem. I and mean, we were just talking about, we had a situation with our, the business coach. And she quoted us a price on the phone. But apparently, the price in her proposal was $900 more. Now, I have a lot of respect for her because she gave us a 50-50 payment schedule. So we paid her the first half. And then she talked to us this past week. And she said, okay, there's an issue here. And it's probably me. But the amount that you said I quoted you and the amount that's in the quote are $900 different. And then I said, well, you know, we had this phone call and you said this price and that's nine where the $900 difference is. And so she said, look, I'm going to leave it up to you guys. Whatever you think is fair, you go ahead and you do. And so we looked at each other and we said, all right, we'll split you in the middle. We'll meet you in the middle. We'll pay you an extra 450. And we've even recently had the conversation that if she does what she says she's going to do, We'll pay her the other 450 as well because I actually told her the value you've given us in three hours is well worth the $900. But I feel like ethically, you told me one price, you want another price. We're going to meet in the middle. I feel like I'm not going to hold her to the lower price. And it's ethics. It's all about ethics. To me, I think that's why I can't wrap my head around certain scenarios because the issue, that's the only way I can describe it, the issue with capital T, capital I is so, it's like neon lights. Talk about Las Vegas. 
It's like being in Las Vegas. And yet they don't see it. And that's, you know how you mentioned before how I look at both sides of the issue? Well, when I can't sit in their chair and see it from their perspective, it's like, I just go, huh? And then that's when I, and, and honestly, it triggers, it does, it triggers me. She'll tell you, we'll be talking about it later. And I'll say, how the heck, how the heck? And I can't stop. I can't let it go for a while. And then I finally have to just tell myself, you know what? Move on. They don't get it. They don't see it your way. Just move on, you know? Mm-hmm. It's part but of why we podcast. About, yeah, it is. Because <laughs> we, in fact, if you look at our tagline, it says insane conversations revealed. And it's because we sit here in the evening and we have these conversations and we go, we all of a sudden we'll look and we're like, wow, that was two hours that went by. So I'm going to come back to your, your circuitous conversation. Give me an example of a recent circuitous conversation that you've had. Oh, goodness. Probably the most recent, really delicious circuitous conversation I had was with an ENTP friend and I was introducing him to the idea of the cognitive functions and the Myers-Briggs personality system. And um, now he uses extroverted intuition. That's the one that figures out how things work by interacting with them in the outside world. And I use introverted intuition where I run simulations and put myself in different perspectives in order to figure out how things work. And it was describing to him the difference between the two. You know, introverted intuition is, I think, by most people's accounts, the hardest cognitive function to describe. Because if you don't use it, people don't understand what you're doing in there (laughs) when you're gazing off into space (laughs) and running (laughs) simulations inside yourself, trying out different things and thinking, you know, about how it would actually work to do X, Y, or Z. And I think an aha moment came when he said, well, I do that in a certain way, like he, he does improv or he used to. So he said, you know, when I used to do improv before before the scene would start, I would run through my mind, put different potential scenarios and like what I might do, how, where I might take the scene essentially in different scenarios. And what we realized was what he was talking about was not introverted intuition. It wasn't running simulations. What he was talking about was rehearsal. Rehearsal in the sense of like, okay, I'm going to sort of memorize, I'm going to think of and then sort of memorize this sort of line of behavior and action and dialogue to start with. That's different from introverted intuition. Introverted intuition is not rehearsing. It's simulating in order to be able to understand what to expect. So we take memories of, of experiences we've been through. Let's say I recently used the example of my friend Anna. Okay. I have an interaction with Anna. Something kind of goes sideways. I don't really understand what's happening in the moment, but I think about it afterwards using my introverted intuition. And I'm sliding around from perspective to perspective, trying to, you know, looking at it this way, looking at it that way, trying to look at it through her eyes, through her shoes. I'm running these simulations of what it would be like to be Jane. But the reason I'm doing that is so that I can figure out, you know, like next time, what do I need to avoid? Or how would I phrase this differently? Or how would I explain? context, you know, to sidestep this misunderstanding. And so now I'm not just thinking and and reviewing the memory of what actually happened with Anna. Maybe I've used two different names. (laughs) I don't know if I've... I used Jane earlier this week and I tried out Anna today and I'm getting myself mixed up. Anna Jane. They've both entered our conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm actually using whatever perspectives and patterns I've recognized in what happened 
with with Anna Jane to try to better understand herself and what happened between us. I'm using them to try to anticipate what might happen in the future with her. And I'm running simulations of future conversations I might have, trying out different ways of approaching it in order to get a different result. So yeah, having, you, describe, you describe exactly what I do. Okay. Okay. So I have a feeling, Michael, that you are not an INFJ, but an INTJ. And the difference there would be, so we, we both use introverted intuition as our dominant function for information processing, but we use different functions for evaluating information, assigning it value, and deciding what to do with it. And the main difference there is that when I'm using my introverted intuition, it's pretty focused on what's going on in the realm of the personal and the interpersonal. I'm trying to figure out what makes other people tick. I'm trying to get inside their minds and understand their psychological dynamics. Now, you may do some of that, but my guess is that your introverted intuition is more drawn to the realm of the impersonal, figuring out how systems work, understanding the scientific or technological or philosophical aspects of the world. I have a kind of a motto that I live by. I say that what other people think about me isn't my business. I say it and people look at me and go, what the heck? And I said, well, okay, here's the thing. Do you think I know who I am? Like 100%? I think I know who I am. I have a pretty good idea of who I am. So if you're going to throw out something at me and say, you're a this or you're a that, I know whether I'm that person. And so you can have your opinion. It really doesn't, it really doesn't make much difference to me because ultimately when I, when I look back and I re-examine whatever we talked about, whatever issue it was, I'm going to come to the conclusion based off of what I know about myself and not what other people think about me. I guess what it comes down to is some people have told me that this approach you described doesn't work properly. And I completely disagree because well, their reason for saying it doesn't work is they say you're skewed by past experiences. So if you've had a similar situation and it came out negatively because of something that happened with the other person, well, then then you're going to expect it to come out negatively. And I disagree. What I tend to do is look for, like remember we talked about having a friends who you just suddenly you figure out how to interact with them so that things are smoother. Well, I look for things like what words trigger them? What phrases do they not like? You know, if you you can I have a friend who doesn't like the word delusional. So I use a different word because she defines it differently than I do. And I'm not going to try to make her define it my way. So I listen to how she talks and I use her words when I'm talking to her. And we tend to get along a lot better because of that. And I've noticed she does the same thing towards me about certain topics. So I disagree when people say that doesn't work because I guess if you solely went on emotions and you allowed yourself to be skewed by past history, yeah, it's not going to work. But when you take each situation as it comes and do what you just described, where you think it through and you run through different scenarios, I mean, it's what, my gosh, it's what I'm paid to do. I, I, I work with technology and I have to look, sometimes two businesses look like they're doing the exact same thing. And then when you dig in, they're not. My job is to explain to them, well, here's the benefits of what you're doing here, but here's the detriment. If I didn't take the time to play out all the scenarios, I wouldn't be able to do that. It's part of what a programmer does. You know, our job is to take a concept and make it happen. When we were working on your website, we ran into a few little issues. And this, by the way, honey, is not at all a criticism of you, but she thinks differently than I do. She was like, well, maybe it's this. And I, right away in my head, I'm going, no, it's not that. I know for sure it's not that. And she would say, well, how do you know? And I just know because that he it's just not knows. that. <laughs> I just know it's not that. Eventually, I kind of work my way through this. Well, what if this were the situation? Well, then this would happen. No, that isn't what happened. Well, what if this was the situation? Then this would, aha, 
There it is. You come to the conclusion step by step by step. And again, it kind of brings me back to the chess playing thing. You know, if I move this piece here, they're going to move this piece here. Then I'm going to move this one here. Exactly. And now, well, how does that look to me? Oh, that's not bad. Well, how about this way? Oh, that's bad. You know, and you just, you figure out your path. Just like a chess game, life is like that. You're not always going to make the right choice, but you're going to make the right choice for you at that time. Right. Is how I look at it. Right. Yeah. And to hear you say, uh, you know, a little bit ago that sometimes you you look at your emotional intelligence. You know, here we are talking about where you really shine, right, Michael? We're talking about systems and um, a, a really deep conceptual understanding of things. A little while ago, you said that you sometimes look at your emotional intelligence and feel like it's maybe not quite up to par, if I've got that right. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. That's where our personality types differ. You know, you have this ability uh, based on your cognitive functions to be able to say, look, what other people think about me is not my business. The INFJ experience is just the opposite. What other people think of me... A hundred percent my business. It's the only business I care about. No, <laughs> that's overstating it. But because INFJs are so plugged into and have such expertise in the realm of the personal emotions, interpersonal dynamics, relationships, what other people think about us automatically becomes really important information to evaluate in order to complete our mission, which is about developing understanding and harmony between people. That makes sense. But what is it about, for instance, I really know for fact that I try to keep feelings out of certain decisions. But yet when it comes to my children, the empathy really comes out strong, like super strong. I just had a situation today with my youngest daughter who she does cross country, but what she doesn't do right is she doesn't run all year long. She only runs during season, like from like June until November. And then after that, she doesn't run. Every time she starts a new season, there's aches, there's pains, there's this, there's that. But I pay attention to what she says. And today she was explaining to me, dad, my knee hurts and it's not discomfort like my shins, it's pain. And mom says I should just go ahead and run anyway. What do you think? Right away, I'm like, you. I see the difference. One you said was discomfort. The other you're calling pain. If you have pain, you don't run. It's funny because her, I mean, her mom loves her just as much as I do, but her mom's pushing her to run. And I'm saying, no, no, no. Your plan. Her plan was to use a exercise bicycle to do cardio for the rest of the week since it's a 4th of July week and they have a day off and everything. She wants to keep her cardio up, but give her legs time to heal. And I said, that's a great plan. You do that. You have my 100% um, backing on that. Go ahead and do it. And then she said, well, mom's going to get upset. And I said, here, I don't do this for anybody, by the way. And I said, here, let me talk to mom. Mm. And I'll explain it to her for you so that she understands because clearly you two are talking past one another. Let me help you guys get together. And it worked. And I don't do that for other people, but I do it for my wife, really, really close friends. Yeah. You know, anyone who's super important to me, I have empathy. Other than that, I don't know why, and it's not something I'm proud of, but I don't have a lot of empathy. Yeah. We go to city council meetings and people will stand up and say, blah, 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 blah. And I look at her and I go, are they serious? Like they came here and wasted their time saying that. And then afterwards I think about it. That wasn't a nice thing that I said, but I say it to her only. <laughs> right. And now to you, <laughs> but to her free. only. So it's like, it's judgment free. I can say it. I would never say that to like the person next to me or something, right. but, but it's still, I have to analyze like, that's what comes out of my head. Like, why are they wasting the city council's time on that ridiculousness? But yet to that person, it's not ridiculousness. They, it was important enough for them to get in their car, drive down there, go to a meeting they never go to, sit there for an hour and then stand up there and be nervous and speak. I give them a lot of credit for that, actually. But at the same time, I say, why couldn't they have just handled that problem themselves? Why are they here whining about that? 
And I literally see it as whining. Like, mm -hmm. why are you whining? Mm -hmm. But yet my daughter could have been seen as whining today, but I don't see it that way. Right. I see it as, oh, okay, let me take care of you. Right. I don't understand. I'll never understand that about myself well, ever. I understand. <laughs> I may be able to eliminate you. <laughs> so your, your top strength, your dominant cognitive function is introverted intuition, which we've already been talking about, right? Right. Deep, deep understanding. Your second cognitive function is extroverted thinking. If I'm correct that you're an INTJ, then your second cognitive function is extroverted thinking. Extroverted thinking is not as not typically as interested about the realm of the personal, how people feel, how things impact people. It's more interested in impact and the way things work in the realm of the impersonal, like we were talking about, technology systems, that kind of thing. And extroverted thinking knows it's on the right track. It values its thoughts and the way that it sees things when those thoughts have been proven to work in the outside world, as opposed to introverted thinking, which is much more theoretical and, and based more on philosophical logic. Extroverted thinking is based on, look, I know I'm on the right track. I know I'm seeing this correctly. I know I'm thinking about it correctly. If employing my understanding of it works, if I get the external, if external metrics are telling me that this works, if I code it and the program works, that's how I know that I am on the right track. And those, your top two functions, those functions are where you spend the majority of your time sort of in your inner life. But you have a third function. And this is where I think your empathy comes from for people who are very close to you. Your third function is introverted feeling. Now, this is different from my extroverted feeling as an INFJ. My extroverted feelings concerned about impact to others, what are other people are feeling and what other people need. Introverted feeling is concerned with, you know, its attention is on what do I feel? How is this impacting me? It's focused on the realm of the personal, but it's focused on how things land for you. And yet it has an empathic superpower. It just arrives to it differently than those of us who use extroverted feeling. The way that introverted feeling arrives at empathy is by putting yourself in another person's shoes and asking essentially, how would I feel? And my guess is that when you talk to your daughter, you know you know her, you've got that emotional bond and attachment, right? And you are automatically plugged into that third function, that part of yourself that can understand how people feel because you understand how these things might impact you if you were in her shoes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think this, what this, if this entire episode doesn't convince people to come and check you out, then I don't know what will. Um, because you've, <laughs> well, you've kind of opened my eyes to a few things. You have a lot of thinking to do. You've opened my eyes to some things. And I have to say, I was kind of anti therapy for a lot of years because in my previous marriage, we tried a couple of times to go to couples therapy and the last one ended in disaster. There were She would lie about things. And I finally told the therapist, you know what? This isn't a safe environment for me. I can't come here and have her lie and then have you start questioning me. And when I tell you she's lying, you continue to question me and then come to the conclusion that, oh, she was lying. You know, we can't go through that all the time. It doesn't make me comfortable. So I bailed on that. And But, but something told me you need the help. I knew I was headed towards a divorce. I didn't want to have baggage that the next person would have to deal with. So I, I went to individual therapy. Oh, good for you. The person that I met taught me something very interesting. I remember asking her, why am I always so angry at my ex? And she said, it's because you're trying to assign a portion blame. You know, you're wanting to, you're wanting to say, well, I'm 30% responsible and she's 70%. She said, what if I told you you were both 100% responsible? Now you understand me slightly. I was like, what? 
how can you possibly be both 100% and 100% is 200%. That's not possible. There's one of my pet peeves is people who say they're 110% ready for something because <laughs> they're not. It drives me it's crazy. Not You're not 110% ready. It can only go to 100. But she said, well, let me explain it to you. If could you have done one thing differently that could have helped your relationship? And I said, oh, of course, I probably could have done 100 things differently. She said, exactly. And could your ex have done one thing? Yes. Well, there you go. You both had within your hands the ability to change the course of your relationship and neither of you took it. And I remember dry, it was like a 20 minute drive from her office to my home. And I remember thinking, how the heck can you stay angry at somebody when you're responsible just like they are? You're equally responsible. It's not fair. There we go with ethics again. It's not ethical to be angry at her when you could have done something different yourself. Anyway, what I'm getting at with that whole spiel is that <laughs> I think that therapy, anyone who says therapy doesn't work, hasn't actually let themselves go and like be open to it. Like the, the hypnotherapist told us that there are people who hypnotherapy just doesn't work for, but he says he's never actually met somebody who it legitimately wouldn't work for. He's only met people who they get right to the edge and then they get scared and they push away. And he says, and that's the thing is you, you have control over whether you let go or you don't let go. I think that's the same with therapy. I think people have to go at it with an open mind, but they also need somebody like so far throughout this whole conversation, you have not been judgmental. You've just offered your insight. Oh, there goes the cat. You've just <laughs> offered your insight. And I think that goes a long way too. If you, I've had therapists who do nothing but talk the entire time and you just leave there going, huh, I didn't get to say a word. I guess I don't fix anything if I don't get to talk. But it's important to have that open mind and be willing to change. You know, I remember when we first got together, I would tell Victoria, you know, there's some baggage here that we're going to have to deal with. And it's unfortunate, but I've had to set boundaries and you can't cross them. If you cross the boundaries, it's going to trigger me. We're going to have problems. And at first, it'd be hard for her. But as she learned that my boundaries weren't about her, it got easier and easier and easier for both of us. Interestingly, I've had to learn the same thing with her in reverse. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> she has her boundaries and I can't get upset Yeah. if I cross the boundary and she tells me, stop. Right. My boundaries are savages. <laughs> Hers are very hard. Her boundaries are very hard boundaries. She'll take a lot and then she's had enough. Yes. And I'm talking with with clients, with yeah. I feel like you coworkers. Relate. <laughs> I can relate. Yes. Yeah. Well, especially how you guys met. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. We, for your <laughs> listeners, we, we met via tech assistant who I was working with who did not work out. Yeah. It was spectacular. That person drove me bananas, yes. by the way. Yes. I think, <laughs> I think she, she drove all bananas. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, Michael, I appreciate what you're saying about therapy. And, you know, having been a therapist for 20 years, having had the chance to work at length and in depth with INFJs, I finally decided that while I don't see myself ever stopping being a therapist, I wanted to create something a little more accessible for people to be able to learn about their INFJ type, no matter where they are in the world. They don't have to be in my locale and able to come to my office for therapy. And no matter what their financial situation is, because I know that therapy can be expensive. So that's why I created INFJ School. It's completely online. You enroll as a student into a membership program for $25 a month where you get to watch 
a live workshop of me describing the ins and outs of the INFJ personality type, and most importantly, how to use our tremendous gifts, our cognitive functions, to be able to create the kind of lives we want, feel the way that we want to in our lives, have reciprocal reciprocal relationships, you know, gain the energy we need to be able to make the kind of contribution we want to make in the world. So that's what INFJ school is all about. It's not therapy, it's education, but I think it's deeply therapeutic in the sense of being a place where INFJs can come to feel understood deeply, maybe for the first time in their lives, understand themselves deeply, and then be able to explain themselves to other people, the important people in their lives, be able to set boundaries like Toria is <laughs> able to set in ways that nurture our most important relationships. So how can people find your INFJ school? Well, Michael, they can find me at the website that you and Toria <laughs> beautifully <laughs> built. Um, to- actually, Toria, I think, built this website. And, and Michael, sure you did. had a big hand in the membership site area of it. It's joymalik.com. That's J-O-Y-M like Mary, A-L-E-K.com. I'm also on Instagram under that same name, Joy Malik. And uh, if any of your listeners would like to come over there to connect with me, I'd love to hear from them. Well, I really appreciate you being here tonight. I hope you'll come back again because it was a very insightful, I feel like we could pick almost any topic and have a conversation and I can learn something from you. I've really appreciated it. Tori is very lucky to work with you on a regular basis and have those kind of conversations. It's true. I feel like I'm the lucky one, by the way. (laughs) It's interesting how life works, but we're starting to learn about how You have to work with people who you get along with and you connect with. Interestingly, we mentioned our business coach and we we were we went through some really weird situation where we got burned by somebody in a similar capacity. Toria said, I'm not doing this unless I get references. There's one of those boundaries, right? And I said, okay, I'll, I got no problem asking her for references. So I asked her for references and we're sitting, we had to leave and go to a meeting and she's, I'll get you those references as soon as possible. I'll hurry and get it for you. We go to this meeting and we're sitting there with this guy and I see my phone light up. Normally I put my phone face down, but I had it face up. I don't even know why. And I looked and I said, do you know, I looked at Victoria, I said, do you know this name? Cause it sounds so familiar to me. She says, oh, it's only my favorite client of all time ever. <laughs> That's one of her references. She says, That's it. We don't need any more references. If she gives her a good reference, that's it. We're done. You know, it proves a point, proves a point. You know, you have to work with and be around people who you connect to and who knows why you connect, but it makes everything more comfortable. I mean, we've been talking over an hour, by the way, (laughs) it doesn't feel like it at all. No, it was speedy. The kind of, we've had conversations on this show with people before that five minutes feels like five hours. I'm not kidding you. And you want to pull the plug. Like we're the kind of podcasters that as long as the appearance wasn't complete garbage, it goes out. But I know podcasters will say, I just didn't connect with that person. I am not putting that out. Mm, that's your that's your way. It's not my way. But I really have enjoyed this. I think I've got a lot to think about. You've given me a lot of insight. I really think people should go to Joy's website. We'll put these things in the show notes so it's easy for you to find. I wish I could remember what number episode this was going to be. I could give people the URL. But actually, if you just go to yogispodcastnetwork.com forward slash TNR show, it will give you a list. And whenever we have a guest, the title of the episode will always be something with this person or this person talks about. So you just look for joy, click on that link. And in there, 
will be the notes for how to find her because you need to find her. You have to find her because she can teach you some things about yourself that um, I don't think anybody's ever been able to get you to see. And I think it's the, I honestly believe as I've listened to you, I think it's the approach that you're using of trying to understand people where they're at. That's sort of how I see your INFJ school is, you know, you're trying to help people understand who they are and where they're at. Not like, hey, you need to be more you don't need to be more like this or you no. need to be more like this. You're just, no. you are who you are. Exactly. And we have everything we need for life right here in our personality. We just need to exactly. understand it. Totally agree. Well, thank you again so much for being here. And again, I hope you come back. Thank you. I would absolutely love to. This has been the most delicious, circuitous conversation. Thank you both. <laughs> and on that exciting note, good night, everyone. Hasta la bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Nightly Rant. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. If you didn't enjoy the show, please just ignore that previous request for a rating. This has been a Yogi's Podcast Network production. 